Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you grew up in Kansas City during the 1990s, man, you wanted to play for the Chiefs. From Derek Thomas to Joe Montana to Marcus Allen and all the great talent that came through Kansas City, how could any kid growing up in KC not want to play for his hometown team? Well, Ryan Lilja finally got that opportunity a little bit later in his career, a career in the NFL he thought may never happen. Here's the latest KC Bobcast with Kansas City native and former Kansas City Chief Ryan Lilja. You know, before we started this thing, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off theme song was playing. It's been like Ryan Lilja's Day Off since he retired from playing football, huh? Every day, man. Every day. <laughs> Not quite as busy as his, but uh, right, yeah. you know, it feels that way sometimes. No doubt, man. How you been? You good? You, you enjoying life? Are, are you? Because I think some guys retire and they just don't know how to enjoy things. Are you enjoying life right now? I'm loving life, yeah. man. I mean, but it's all about the kids, and it's not what I thought you know retirement was going to look like. Um, we just kind of been having kids every couple of years, and you know how that is, especially when they're young. Yeah, uh, they keep you busy, and they're fun right now. So I've kind of, if you told me, you know, five years ago that I was going to have four kids, I would have slapped you in the face, man. I, you know, I, I didn't see us, I didn't see that happening. But it's, um, it's been good, man. But again, they just keep you busy, and we're having fun every day, man. What the heck happened to have four kids, man? Like, like two's the limit. I'm like, I'm good at two, man. And then you go and have yeah. two more on that, and now you're clearly outnumbered. You don't I have know. a chance at home. I know. I think I, maybe I got the CTE. I'm questioning my sanity. But it's, <laughs> you know, when, you're, when you don't have kids, you think, okay, maybe two kids sounds good. Sure. But then when you have them and, um, and you like them, you know, and uh, th- then, you know, let's have another one. And my wife's pretty persuasive. So, um, and you know how it works. I mean, whoever's got 100% of the, you know, you know what, right. has 51% of the vote, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know what we're talking about, right, Rhino? <laughs> that was an old Howard Muddism, man. <laughs> so when, when, you, when you go home and you've got three kids, and the fourth one obviously is coming soon on the way for you, when you've got these kids running around, do you ever go, Man, this is a lot more difficult than, than playing in, on the offensive line in the NFL because I know being a dad, it's the hardest but yet most rewarding thing that I've ever done. You know? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, listen, football was just show up and do as you're told. And parenting isn't really like that because nobody really knows what they're doing. Right. Okay, I don't care how many books you read or, you know, how many mentors you have. It's, they're, they're different. They're, they're all unique, and um, that's kind of what makes it fun. Right. I mean, it's um, but it's hard work. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for I've got more respect for stay at home moms and my own mother and and my wife and seeing. I mean, she's just a Clydesdale. She's out to here mm-hmm. and uh, she's she doesn't sit down all day. I mean, she's just a doer. And, um, you know, you got to respect that because it ain't easy. No, it's not. And, and did you ever think, though, that it would be where it is with kids? Because I look every day and it's something different. And whether you're chasing them to a soccer game or telling them about life or something like that, like every day there's something different. And somebody asked me the other day, they go, yeah, we just had our first baby. You have any advice? I'm like, no, just just do. I mean, there's there's no reaction. There's no there's no advice to be given. It's just you just got to kind of adjust on the fly. Yeah, and you you can't really be told. You know, you got to learn it on your own. Yeah. And because they 
there's no playbook, and they're all different. And they, they you know, they have they have they have good days, they have bad days, and therefore you kind of have good days and bad days, and 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 everybody's figuring it out together as a team. So it's we got a cool little thing going, man. I mean, we. I never thought I would enjoy doing some of the mundane things, making breakfast every day, you know, pulling weeds and cutting the grass with my son and uh, taking them down and throwing them in the lake and playing, hitting balls at the driving range. You know, all that stuff is all I want to do. Um, and I, I, you know, I never really pictured that. So it's good. You, you know, you, you come from a unique situation. Your dad passed away when you, when you were a child. Do you look back at that now, and you mentioned your mom earlier, and go, yeah. how in the heck did she do this all by herself with yeah. you and your brother running around and all that kind of stuff all, yeah. all by herself? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I call her my hero all the time, right? And it's, it's, it sounds dramatic, but she really is. I mean, she, she just kind of did it on her own. Brady was 16. I was 14. My little brother Miles was 9. We were total knuckleheads. You know, and uh, my dad died young suddenly, and um, you know she had to figure it out. She went to nursing school at JUCO here and, and started nursing with us. And I, I remember when when my brother was 16, my dad was still around. He had a he got a Jeep, right? That was his first car. And I think back at how spoiled you know I was and selfish, and and I got so pissed when you know two years later I was 16, and my mom my mom looked at me and she's like, "Can we? You mind if we just share the minivan for a while?" And I. I threw a fit, and I still, to this day, I remember that, and it makes me feel so, um, you know, self-centered, and I know I was 16, and, um, but uh, yeah, she's a stud, man. She's a stud. She lives right down the street from us. She just retired. Um, she's at our house two or three nights a week, hanging out, having dinner. Uh, she comes over, and we go swim and go on the boat, um, so it's, it's, it's neat. We're going to keep her out there because it's important for her and, and for the kids, and I, I like having that dynamic where my kids can go 150 yards down the cul-de-sac and, and see their grandma. So. Yeah, it's important. I mean, I, mean, I know one of my, my in-laws obviously live in town. My parents live, you know, a 1,000 miles away, so they don't get to see them, but to have that family dynamic so close is so important when you're raising kids. It's, it's important to the kids. It's important to my mom. Um, we grew up with my dad's folks being a, a par five from our house. And so we would go over there all the time. You know, Sunday dinners, I would mow their grass and clean their gutters. And I'd go and just watch my grandpa tinker with boat motors and, you know, golf carts and lawnmowers and stuff. Uh, and, and you don't really know when you're doing it how, how special that is. But when you get a little older, when you have kids of your own, you start realizing that, you know, it's 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 not just good for your kids, but it, it keeps keeps your parents young. Yeah. And um, you know, w- none of us are getting any younger. But when my mom's around the kids, she just she gets energized, and um, you know, she'll she'll live a longer, fuller, happier life being closer to her grandkids. So it's kind of a no brainer. Have Have you realized that though your mother has kind of lost her mind around the grandkids? Like everything that she was as a parent, she's totally opposite now as a grandparent. Like my yeah. parents will bring over bags of sugar and just give it to the kids. I'm like, that didn't happen when I was oh, growing yeah. up. Like they lose their minds and they do all kinds of things that they never did as a parent before. Yeah. Well, they spoil them. Yeah. Man. And yeah. I think, you know, I think they don't take themselves that serious and they, it's not their job to discipline them. It's not their job to make them even good people. Sure. I, I think I think the, the role as a grandparent is just to enjoy them. And uh, my mom does a really good job, as does my wife's mom of, of and, and her dad, of making sure that the kids want to be around them. So they always do fun stuff. They spoil the heck out of them. They, you know, there's always candy involved. And um, mm-hmm. it's always about them. And so, so seeing that relationship is cool. Do you... 
do you look back to that time when you turned 16 and you got to share the minivan with your mom and you go, man, I got to drive up the Northwest in, in this minivan. I, mean, I got to go to school yeah. in this minivan and this sucks. What yeah, was what that a, like? What a prick, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I just remember being so self I had so an Century, though, and I hated driving that thing around. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I threw a fit and she talked to my dad's dad and they, they got me a Ford Bronco, too, at 80, and I love that thing. Um, but yeah, it took me a while till I realized, and you know, I, I had, I had some injuries and some stuff in college and my mom, you know, like my third year in the league, she shows up in town. I had a knee surgery and she's, she was helping me. She took a week off and she was kind of helping me with the rehab and recovery and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, she, she dropped down a couple of bills that she was paying the minimum <clears throat> on her card for, for some scans that I had done. And she had like 1300 bucks on this deal. And I, I was so oblivious and it's stuff like that that um, reminds you, you know, uh, how selfless, you know, your mom can be or uh, people like that. And uh, she was asking for a little help on it. And I, I was embarrassed yeah, um, because I, I wasn't even aware that she'd been paying that for several years. Um, so, yeah, I got a special mom, man. Yeah. When, when, when she did plop those bills down, was she saying, here, now it's your turn. Pay these off. No, or she, she, I mean, or she just wanted to show you kind of like what I've been doing. No, she was just kind of like she was kind of like, hey, you know, I've got these. But she was uncomfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could sense that. And so, uh, you know, and I, I've played with guys whose family wasn't uncomfortable about asking for for help, you know, financially right. or whatever. And uh, it just it made me it just kind of made me understand the sacrifices you make when you're a parent. And that's all she did. That's you know, she's I call her a Clydesdale because she's you know, she just kind of keeps her head down and just works and doesn't complain. You know, never complained ever, mm-hmm. you know, never dated again. So, yeah, no, my mom's a special lady, man. I could talk about her forever. She's neat. How did you do and get to where you were without the, having the influence of your father? You know, I, I've kind of always um, kind of latched on to older men, right? And typically, most of them have been football coaches, yeah. but a lot of them haven't. A lot of my dad's friends still in my life, still in my my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a couple weddings this fall that are, you know, my dad's buddies' kids are getting married, and so, and whether it's football coaches or my friends' dads or my my dad's friends. Um, I always just kind of tried to learn from them. And, um, you know, I mean, again, I had a really kick-ass mom. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and I had my dad till I was 14, and, I, I, you know, he, he, he was a dude. He was a guy's guy. I mean, and he, you know, I remember him. And I, I, could, I see myself doing stuff with my kids and parenting them just like my dad did with me. And it's like, you know, well, that, that was unconscious, you know. Um, but... Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I just, I just did the next – I tried to do the next right thing that was in front of my face. And whether that was – I never thought I was going to play in the NFL. I, just, I never thought I was going to play in the Big 12. I wanted to, but I thought if it happens, great, I'm going to work my ass off to try to get there. But it's probably not in the cards. I never thought I'd be playing in the NFL. These guys that say, you know, I knew I was going to play in the league from a, you know, from a young age or the JUCO, you know, the last chance you guys right. saying, you know, once I get to the league, I'll be able to take care – you know, I never thought that. I just kind of did and then – it just kind of fell into place, and I, you know, I got opportunities, and I tried to capitalize on those opportunities. And before I knew it, I was I was getting ready to sign a, an extension with Indy, and I was like, "What an unbelievable, you know, opportunity to play with this team, and and, and to have some security and do it." And so, uh, and a lot of success. 
Um, so it, it, yeah, there was a lot of pinching myself there, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, when I kind of made it there a little bit. So when did you have that? Oh shit moment, man. I, I made it like that wide eye, like here I am, I'm here moment. You know, when, when you in the NFL, so I, I was with Kansas city, my, my rookie year, all off season, undrafted, I got released signed practice squad papers, was on the Colts 24 hours later. They claimed me. They cut another guy that played my position that was a fourth-round pick the year before, so I knew they liked me, but I was still surprised. I was like, you know, even when I was with Kansas City, I was like, well, I can't do what Will does. I can't do what Casey does or Brian Waters or Willie Rofe or Wellborn or any of these guys. Like, But I'm going to try to fool them, right. you know, and sure. maybe I can get by on the practice squad and maybe life get is better. Fooling, guys, right? I, yeah, yeah, I think I hit my ceiling. But so, yeah, I thought I was fooling him for a long time. I got to the to Indy, and, um, you know, I was thrown in the fire immediately. Didn't know their playbook, and it's it's fast, right? In Indianapolis at that point in time, it was – you didn't huddle a lot. And they would typically say, well, if you're going to be our backup, swing guy, guard, center, we're going to just throw you in in the middle of a team period against the defense, the starting defense. And I go into this huddle, and I remember exactly where it was on the exact practice field – in Indianapolis, and, and I'm in the huddle with Edge and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark and Jeff Saturday and Tar Glenn and Ryan Deem and uh, Peyton Manning, and, and it's like I'm looking around, and, and I'm like, the first thought I had was, just don't fuck this up. Right, you know? yeah, right. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say that. Just, yeah, sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> hey, don't fuck it up, right? right? Maybe that's not the best thought to have before your first play with the, with the ones, right. but it was, and I don't think I did. But um, that, that moment, I remember looking around and going, golly, man. I mean, these guys are pro bowlers and some Hall of Famers, and I don't want to be the weak link on this deal. So so, so that moment you remember vividly. Do you remember yeah. the second play at Not all? Not at all. <laughs> No nope. clue, right? You Not at all. No idea what the second play was. Nope. Well, nope. it's a good thing you were going up the Colts' defense. They weren't any good back when you were playing. Anyway, you guys had to carry them all the time, oh, huh? Oh, hey, man. <laughs> they're, they're all good, okay, at that yeah. level. I mean, Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, you know, playing out on the ends. Um, Bob Sanders was on that team. And I don't know if you remember Bob much, but yep. Bob was just a head-hunting fool. He wouldn't be um, able to play in this day and age in the NFL, no, would he? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Yeah. And, if he, and if he actually did... His career would be a lot less um, dangerous. I mean, yeah. he was injured all the time because he would just sacrifice his body. But, yeah, this, this NFL, it's changing, man. And it's, uh, I think we're working through those changes as fans, but as players and coaches, they're struggling with it. You're seeing it now yep. with this helmet rule. And, you know, as a former player, I don't know that I could play because, you know, I, I led with my head. That was the tip of my triangle. It was my hands and my my. If I could get it under yours, I could get leverage on you, and I got a chance. And so that was what I did. And, um, and now there's too much ambiguity on whether whether or not that's even legal. Mm-hmm. Whether you're going to get fined, thrown out now is, is is on the table. Yeah. I mean, when I pulled, which I pulled all the time, I was good. I was a good puller. I mean, I I would lead with the head, man, and try to keep it low. I right. just would. So. Uh, I'm I'm kind of anxious to watch this season and see how guys navigate that because it's right now it looks like a train wreck. It does. It absolutely does. All right, you mentioned last chance you, and I had that written down as something I wanted to talk to you about because they're at Independence and obviously you went to Coffeeville yeah. and played there. You know, Brandon Jacobs went to Coffeeville. <laughs> did he? Yeah, he did. Why don't you know that? 
Um, was, what, was that last chance you for you? Was Coffeeville like the last chance you for you to give you that opportunity? Or did you know you were just going there for a brief stop until you went somewhere else? You know what? I didn't really know. And I was when I got in trouble in high school, I got kicked off the team. Right. And uh, didn't get to play uh, my senior year. And so I was a marginal guy. So, so at that point it was, it, do you think you can play D1? If so, go to one of these, you know, Kansas Juco's that has, has been a pipeline to the Big 12 or other places. And if you don't, you know, go to Pitt State or Northwest or Emporia State um, and play. And so I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I could always do that if I wasn't good enough. But I thought I'd just kind of test my my medal a little bit at Juco. Mm-hmm. And I had good three semesters. I kept my head down and, and tried to get better and had some good tape and ended up kind of barely getting an opportunity to go where I wanted to at K-State. Um, but, but that show is uh is is exactly what the experience is is like i mean you, you you've got a lot of guys that um are hanging by a thread and and they need they need the academic part to go right they need the stuff on the field to go right um just to have a chance and it's it's a compelling show man i yeah. mean my wife and i watch it and um she's super into it she just can't believe that you know that that that, that even exists you know um so it's a neat i just got a call from my 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 JUCO head coach today, and we've been playing phone tag. But uh, he was he was the guy who coached the coach from Independence, Jeff Liker, right? Coach Jason Brown, um, and they had an embrace um, after Coffeeville and Independence played in that show. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Nobody wants to be there. Okay, the, the, they're not in great places. Yeah, um, nobody wants to be there. Nobody uh, planned on being there. And so it's, a, but but the community in the in the town, the school, um, they, they, it's it's the biggest deal in town. So they love you, um, and you don't care because you're like, I don't want you to love me because this is a pit stop for me, right? Um, so it's a neat it's a neat dynamic. And then you spend three semesters there, and then it's off to Kansas State, and yeah. and, and you get to play for Bill Snyder, and right, yeah. that that in and of itself has got to be unique because the guy's pushing what ninety almost now. He just signed an extension. I mean, he's going to be coaching there forever and a day. What made him and makes him the coach that he is, the successful coach that he is? That's that's a very popular question that I get asked about. Um, and, and I was only there two and a half years um, with him. But if I had to boil it all down, I would I would just say that, um, you know, he demands more. He demanded more from me than anybody ever had or has since. Mm-hmm. Um, guys get better there, and not just the players, but the coaches. Um, and he, he he sets a standard that is um, is super high. And you got you you got to fall in line, or you won't last. And so I didn't know how unique that was till I got to the NFL and I started talking about practice schedules and, um, you know, uh, workouts. And uh, he just ran a tight ship and he just demanded everybody um, follow along. And guys did. And uh, you, don't, you don't really know when you're there how special that is. Um, but as I've gotten out, um, you know, it was it was a, it was an honor to play there for him. And uh, I'm glad he's still doing it. He's doing it at a high level and. Uh, he's still, he's still got a bunch of guys in there that are coming out that are that are good solid dudes. I think that's you with know? anything in life, though, Ryan. You don't really understand what you're going through and what you have until it's done and it's gone, and then you can take a step back and realize exactly what you were involved in when you were doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy to kind of get the blinders on and again do the next thing. Yeah, and uh, and not really 
see the forest through the trees. And same thing in India. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know until I left how special that was. I mean, the continuity on that team um, with the coaching staff and the players, I mean, they wouldn't sign free agents, right? I mean, they would draft and extend guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, So that created a tight locker room. Uh, it was a special thing. And uh, you don't really have that point of reference or that sense of another perspective if you've never been on another club. And Kansas City was kind of like that, you know, in 2003. Um, they, were, they were a special team, too, particularly on the offensive side. I yeah. mean, they had a neat unit. And, um, and so that was, uh, that was a cool deal. But, but with Coach Snyder and, and his staff and, um, you know, the little apples – that holds a special place in, in my heart. You know, and then you got to play for the Chiefs for that 10 minutes right after college, right? Kansas City kid, man, this is pretty cool. I get to play for the team. What, what yeah. was that like? You're smiling. You're like, yeah, it was that, that's a pretty cool deal, right? It was awesome. I mean, you know, it doesn't get any cooler than that. I'm, I'm, I'm at K-State. I'm finishing up the semester. Um, and I've got some opportunities on draft day. I kind of thought, you know, I, you know how that goes. But, you know, there's different media outlets and, publications and agents that tell you you're going to go in this round and yeah. you're probably going to go to these teams. Um, so follow that. I didn't get drafted. Obviously, I had I had four or five opportunities to go sign as an undrafted free agent. And I thought, well, again, I can, I'm not going to be able to fool them very long. And the Chiefs wanted me. And they, they to the tune of a $9,500 signing bonus, which it – Is that, that a lot? That, that, it, it was a lot, yeah. um, you know, for an undrafted free agent. And it was bigger than any of the other teams. Yeah. And I was like, well – that's where I want to go anyway, and I figured, you know what, there might be. An, I'm looking at other rosters, and I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, the, they don't have a great offensive line room. I might be able to, uh, you know, sneak in and get on the roster and maybe play a little bit. But Kansas City wasn't that case. I mean, that was the best O-line in the league. And so it was kind of a, an opportunity or a choice, really, to, to, to go somewhere and learn from these guys, which is what I did, mm-hmm. um, or try to go someplace and crack a lineup, which I didn't think I was capable of. Um, and so, yeah, again, I went to Case, and it just happened to work out. It was it was faded, man. I mean, Will Shields and Brian Waters were their guards, and both those guys were all world. They were the best in the league, yeah. and they knew it, and everyone else knew it, and there was no reason for them to be beating themselves up in these training camps, right, which right. were way different than the ones that are going on now. Sure. And so they would sit out a lot, you know? I mean, maybe, maybe they had a tight hamstring, or maybe their back was sore, whatever. Hey, take a breather. Let the young kid go in. And so I had opportunities, you know, with Trent and Tony Gonzalez. And that, that was another kind of welcome the NFL moment was a preseason game in, um, in Dallas. And uh, I started the game at guard with the number ones. And I thought, gosh, I'm fooling them. If I can only fool them for one more game, maybe I'll make the team. Um, and so that was a neat deal from being a, a Kansas City fan yeah. uh, and, and growing up. You know, getting to go to Arrowhead with my grandpa and my dad every once in a while, watching the games and, and just being a fan to be able to uh, be on that field. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an incredible opportunity and loved every minute, man. And so was it easy then when the, when the Colts released you to come back to Kansas City? Was like was that a no-brainer for you? Or was there it at that a, point in time you're like, it doesn't matter anymore, I just want the biggest check or what? No. Listen, it was. I talked to Bill Muir, the O-line coach for the Chiefs at that point in time, and and I had visited with them, and Pioli I liked, and Todd I, I, didn't, I didn't care for much at that point in time, and Charlie was Charlie, yeah. and I didn't know how I'd fit in, and, the, and they just won two games maybe? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because um, you came in in 10, right? In you guys 10. Won 10 games. Yeah, and so, yeah. so the culture, you know, and everything I've been reading, the culture was kind of toxic. Yeah. And there was just turnover, and uh, I wasn't giving – so, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that logical of a, of a choice. 
Um, it was like Buffalo and uh, Detroit and maybe Jacksonville, Houston. And I didn't go on a visit with any of them. I was kind of pissed when I got cut. I thought that was my best year that I've had. Mm-hmm. It was two years into a five-year deal. I had an sh- off-season shoulder surgery. I'd had back problems. And the year before, I missed the entire year with uh, – I had three knee surgeries. And I beat that, right? I beat the knee. And I was just kind of surprised. They stunned me a little bit. Um, so I was pissed for a while. And I was in Kansas City. My wife and I were, were living here in town in the off-season. And she comes back from the store. And I told her, I just got a call from Polian. And uh, they released me. And she thought I was kidding. And uh, so I kind of make a return everything. We got no more money, lady. <laughs> get, get that crap. Back. I thought about it. What'd you buy? Yeah. Do we really need that. We need that. We're, we're in a no income household. Yeah. Right now. We're, yeah, exactly. But um, I remember thinking, you know, yeah, I mean, the idea came up six years in. I had saved my money because, again, I kept thinking I was fooling them. Right. So I never really was a big spender. And um, I thought, well, F the world, man. I mean, I'm going to go out on my terms. Screw that. I'm not going to go play for, you know, I'm not going to take my family and go. And then the Chiefs opportunity came up. I love Scott. Uh, and I love Bill Muir. And he goes, hey, man, he goes, it's a special thing to be able to run out of the tunnel and play for the team that you grew up watching. He said, you might want to think about that. And I did. I thought about it. And I thought, you know, it, it's not like it was in 2003 where I was, I was joining a good team. Right. But I had an opportunity to get on a team and, and maybe be a leader and, and impact it and try to um, turn it around. And so that kind of became the lens that I looked at that with and, um, you know, mixed results. <laughs> you know, well, that first year was great, though. I mean, that uh-huh. first year was really good. Castle's yeah. a pro bowler. Mm-hmm. Charlie Weiss is leaving the, you know, leading the offense, quitting in the middle of the season at a pizza shop. I mean, like, and, and you guys win the division. You go 10-6, and six, get slaughtered in that playoff game. So be it. But that's a, that's a good start to the first year back in Kansas City. Right. The rest of the story yeah. is pretty pretty yeah. bad after that. But that yeah. first year had to be fun, winning in the division. It was a lot of fun, yeah. You know? I thought we were still climbing up kind of the bell curve there, and um, we, we had hit the top there. Um, you know, it was a dysfunctional deal, yeah. right? Um, there was infighting, obviously, with the two top positions in your organization. Mm-hmm. There was infighting on the coaching staff. There was real fighting on the coaching staff. It was a kind of a it was a it was a mess of an environment. It wasn't real conducive. We won ten games yeah. in spite. How how did you win ten games that year? Knowing like the, the relationship that Charlie had with Haley, just that alone. How the hell did you guys win ten games in a division that year? You know, I'll tell you this, and, and this is one of the lessons I took away from that season. Failure is adversity, right? Everybody talks about adversity in sports, right? But it. It's cliche, but it's real, right? I mean, because it galvanizes you and it it teaches you a little about yourself or your team or the guys next to you. But success also can kind of create when egos are involved, and uh, and that's kind of what happened. You know, there was we we were doing well offensively, right? We were running the ball. Matt was doing well. uh, Defense was playing. I mean, we 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 had a good team, and I I think it kind of surprised some of the guys. And there was, um, I I think there was some. some guys who wanted credit, who maybe didn't think they were getting it, yeah. and um, that create you know egos again, egos the enemy, and it and it it caused some relationships to go south that were already you know on thin ice anyway, and and offensively the play calling you know I, we've talked about this before, you could sense when Charlie when when Todd took the play calling over, and um, and Charlie stepped back and then he announced he was going to Florida or wherever. Uh, I mean, you could. We were in the huddle in Houston, and um, Brian Waters was like, uh, "We're running this play on third down. We should have beat him." 
that game. So anyway, there was some argument over who who got the credit and, and a little infighting, and I think it, it fizzled out that season and the next season. You know, we I just think it was poor leadership, man. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm not scared to say that. You know, we've talked about that. That's kind of obvious. Yeah. Oh, obviously, um, yeah. So, yeah, we, um, we didn't have good leadership in the locker room uh, throughout top to bottom, and we certainly didn't have it in the coaching staff um, top to bottom. So, so it was a cluster, man. We'll get back to our conversation with Ryan Wilja momentarily, but first I want to tell you about Red Door Grill and all of the great things they have going on at their three locations in Overland Park, Leewood, and in the heart of Brookside. Every weekend for us, it's weekend brunch at Red Door Grill. I personally love that vegetable frittata. My kids can't get enough of the chicken and waffles, and everybody loves their Kentucky Hop Round. Plus, I know my wife loves their Bloody Marys. They are fantastic. And that's just a couple of things that they have going on at Weekend Brunch. As you know, Red Door Grill is the spot for happy hour every Monday through Friday. There's not a Friday that goes by that we don't take advantage of the great happy hour specials at Red Door Grill. From discounts on appetizers and drinks to some of the best foods you're going to find, Red Door Grill has got everybody covered. I personally love the salmon salad every meal I can have at Red Door Grill. My kids love those pretzel sticks, and the calamari is incredible. It's the best you'll have in Kansas City. So check out one of those three locations, Overland Park, Brookside, and in Leewood, and we'll see you at Red Door tonight. What what was Charlie Weiss like behind the scenes? Because I got this image of Charlie Weiss, and 10 years from now, there's an Italian restaurant. I don't know, maybe it's in Jersey, but it's him, it's Belichick, it's Pioli, and they're all sitting around eating pasta. They're going... Man, we really pulled the wool over everybody's eyes for the last 20 years. Thank God for Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I got Tom Brady in a restaurant by himself going, I saved those guys' asses. Like, I made those guys. So, like, what's Charlie Weiss really like? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting chicken and egg kind of deal. You know, yeah. who, who made who, uh, I, I think they're, they're better as, as pairs. And I think they all, they all added value. Um, and, again, with the right leadership – it's easy to kind of handle success when you're when you're led by the right the right guys. Um, but yeah, I mean they, they they had a nice thing going, man. I mean they uh, that tree just exploded, obviously with Romeo and and now you're seeing Vrabes yeah. uh, in Tennessee, and um, you know it's it's neat to see that. I don't know how much those guys live in the past and talk about that kind of stuff. You know, Charlie was an interesting guy. He was a brash personality. He was uh, braggadocious. You know, when I met him on my visit, I go into his, his offensive coordinator room. He's sitting there with the, the team-issued sweats on that were even too big for him. And, um, and he's sitting there, and he's, he's kind of got the mayonnaise stuff right here in his mouth. And he, he, he goes, hold on. Don't sit down. I'm going to tell you everything there is to know about you because I know everything there is to know about you. You're from here. You played here. You married a girl from here. You, you know. Uh, this is why they cut you, but this is what they're telling people why they cut you. Okay, now that you know I know everything, sit down. And I was like, okay. All right. So we sit down, and uh, I think we're going to talk about the fit and the scheme and you know whether I'm the right kind of player for this offense. And he starts talking about private high schools and where his son's going to go. He and, loved talking about himself, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. And his buddies, you know, Tommy Brady and Joey yeah. Montana and – you know, Warren Buffett's a friend, you know, yeah. <laughs> no big deal. And, uh, yeah, he was a trip, man, but we didn't talk football at all. Uh, and he gets a phone call, and he goes, he goes, hold on, excuse me, that's my phone. I think it's my wife or my son. I'm only going to answer it if it's my wife or my son. No, it's Bon Jovi. Anyway, and I go, 
the Bon Jovi? And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we're, we're like this. Right. And um, that was kind of how Charlie was, man. I mean, you know, and it, you'd be in a team meeting, and he would stand up and say, this is going to be a knockdown, drag-out, fist fight, and if you ain't ready, it's going to be your ass. And I know you guys know I didn't play a lot of football in my day, but, you know, you go back to the corner, the street corner in New Jersey or New York or wherever it was, and you ask them about me and my reputation, you know, I'd go square up toe-to-toe with anybody, anytime. And it was like, what are you doing, man? You right. know? I mean, that was, that was kind of him. And so, but he was a hell of a play caller. Yeah, he was. That was the deal, right? He was a hell of a play caller. And, and you know, he's not a, you know, he, he might not be your favorite guy, mm-hmm. but who cares, right? Because he understands the pieces of the puzzle and he puts you in positions for success. And that's what he did. Yeah. And he was only there for in that role for 13, 14 games, right. and then he left. So Then he left. And then downhill, boom, right downhill. Like like you can even tell as a fan just sitting there, Charlie's not involved much anymore, is he, with this thing, you know? It got, it got kind of wacky, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Baltimore game, everyone was like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, you can you can sit in a huddle, and you can look around at guys when a play comes in, and, and, and just by their nonverbal, you can, you can see how they're – how they feel about the call and and we had some wacky stuff man it's like what are we doing that for we, we tried that they're shutting it down let's mix it up mm-hmm. um so yeah there was a lot of that after charlie left then 2012 happens and I, and I tell people it's the worst single season in the history of the national football league for any team i mean that was if it could go wrong it did go wrong for you and every week leading up to the way it ended there was a different story every week about you guys off the field and, and whatever yeah. it was and right. it was my meltdown on the air, Eric Winston's meltdown, you know, doing his thing, which still is one of the greatest things of all time. I mean, and then obviously the Belcher situation happens uh-huh. and, and, yeah. and, and all of that. What was 2012 like? I mean, it was a total, utter abortion, man. I mean, we – it was – it was – so – I think we're coming off the lockout, right? An 11. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in that And, and yeah. so, let's see. 2012, we got Romeo. Romeo, okay. So, it's a year after lockout. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had some good no, pieces, man. No, no, no. It, it, was, it, was, it was part of Haley's year, wasn't it? And then he, like, left midseason. Or was that 11 where he left midseason? No. I think 11 yeah, he left. Romeo, Romeo yeah. had the last three games. Right. And, then, and then Scott was kind of like, hey, man, if I don't hire Romeo, I'm going to lose my defense. Because right. the, we, the, those last three games... They were chanting his name. Oh yeah, in the locker room. We won two or three. We should have won three or three. Right. And so he, you know, he got Romeo, and uh, you know, I, I love Romeo. We'd be in captains meetings, and he'd be sitting around, and he's just awesome, right? I mean, he's like a grandpa kind of type. And then he'd get into a meeting, and he'd try to be Bill Belichick, and it just was, yeah. you know, it was uh, it wasn't genuine. And, and I think that might have been ha- had something to do with his lack of success as a head coach. But but yeah, we had great players. I remember we had we had Kevin Boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had uh, Peyton Hillis. Yeah, um, you know we had Brady Quinn. Obviously, came in Winston. Yeah, um, we were like, oh man, we had a right tackle. Like nothing against Barry Richardson and whoever well, he was, was playing right tackle. There. But I-69 now we've got the best yeah. right tackle that you could ask for. So we had high hopes. Um, just didn't work, man. Didn't execute. I think you know. Listen, I think the groceries were there, but maybe the, maybe the guy who was doing the cooking. Yeah. Um, there was just some wacky stuff going on with play calling and with, with our, you know, head coach and guys fight. It was dysfunctional, man. Yeah. And it was just you, 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 you named some of the, the low points. Um, 
But as special as it is to be in a town when you're winning, um, it's it's two or three times worse to be in a town when you're losing. Mm-hmm. And it's where you grew up, right? And, we, and the guys wouldn't show up anywhere. Guys wouldn't go out and show their faces because, you know, it was so bad. And it was just you just wanted to stop the bleeding and then – you know, we win. We win that game in New Orleans, which was which was crazy. It, Rodney gets hurt playing center. Rodney Hudson, good, good young center. I move over, play center. Jeff Allen comes in, plays guard, and I end up playing center the rest of the season. Yeah, we end up winning that game. We never led the game until overtime the, the, at the end, and we beat them in New Orleans, and that was great. That was week three. We right. think, okay, right, right, yeah, we, we, we're going to figure this thing out. Right, we're one and two. And then we just rattle off L after L after L until maybe week 10, which is right after Javon, you know, right. shot Cassandra and himself and mm-hmm. Orphan, their little girl, and that whole deal. And we beat the Panthers at home. And then it was kind of like I had never been on a team that was making plans in January to go off-season vacations. I'd never done that. I'd never been on a team that you didn't expect at least to have a shot late December to be in the playoffs and, and have, you know, have some life. Right. But that team, it was like that. And we just, you had a, you, you had an environment there where guys were, they were okay with that. You know, even some guys on the coaching staff, some of those guys were more relieved. They knew we weren't going to make the playoffs. They knew they were going to get fired. Um, and so to see that, that dynamic, you know, in real life, I'd heard Leckie tell me about it with the Rams, yeah. you know, uh, and yeah. he's like, it's just wacky, man. I mean, guys are just phoning it in. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you're kind of dealing with that. But it was a, that was a bad deal. That was that one made me want to retire. It did. But you came back for one more, right? It was after that, or was that it for you? Yeah, no, no you I went back to camp? I went back to Denver. Yeah, yeah. So I went. You know, I had a I had a knee surgery, micro fracture, I had a toe surgery. Surgeries. I thought when I'm done, I'm getting these. And then Dan Copen goes down first day of training camp in Denver, and Peyton calls me. My agent calls me, their, their organization called him and was like, you know, can you dust him off? How are you feeling? And I, I, I was, was kind of surprised because the Chiefs had been talking to me a little bit and I threw up some ridiculous number, okay, and I never heard back from him. And then some, something was leaked to Teicher and my agent calls me and goes, did you leak that to Teicher? I go, no. He goes, so it's the team. They're, they're, just, they're dropping it out there to see what kind of reception they get. Anyway, I don't know if that's true or not, but... I, I had thought about it, but I was 268 pounds, and I was on a golf cart, you know, hobbling around, playing golf, drinking beer, eating pizza, yeah. playing with my kids. I wasn't really in – Living anyway. the life. Yeah, and so, so I went out there. I said, I want this much money, and I want you to take the hits off me, okay? Don't throw me in the fire in training camp. I don't need it, number one, and it's, it'd be a detri- it'll be detrimental at this point because I'm, I'm not in football shape. I'm not in that kind of shape, so, so let's, let's slow it up. That wasn't really defined in any contractual way. Um, and so that kind of got a little squirrely, and my knee and my back started really bugging me, and I was, uh, I was ready to move on. Yeah. So that's kind of how that, that went. My wife's sister lives there in Denver, and they're best friends. And they've got four kids, our kids' age. I said, well, you know what, let's go out there for six months, make a little money, maybe go to the Super Bowl. Right, sure. And, and you know, you can be with your, your sister, and you guys can – geek out and do your things right so yeah i mean that that was a lot that was involved but yeah at that point at that point i didn't have much gas left in the tank man yeah you knew you were done yeah i knew i was done i never realized that though you know yeah well i knew i was done for a while i knew i wanted to be done um and i just didn't i didn't have the motivation really um Plus, my body couldn't handle it. I mean, it was like guys got bigger the, the, that off season when I was gone. I come back, and guys are bigger. 
I'm like they're faster. I'm like, wait a sec, how did, how did that happen? Yeah. You know? And so I wasn't really too into it. And uh, but I, you know, I had a 24-hour deal. They said, let us know you had 24 hours, and that came and went. And I said, I need another 24. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it went. What was it like playing with Peyton? I mean, everybody looks at that guy and goes, man, one of the best of all time. You were there, man. He had his hands on your butt at times. I mean, what was it like playing with Peyton Manning? It was awesome. You know, at first it's kind of, you know, it doesn't take you real long to figure out who he is and why he is who he is and why he's so good and why he's a special guy. But uh, when you're, again, when you're playing on a team like that with leadership like that, and he was as big a leader, the reason I, I went to, Denver was not it was as much to be on a team that he's leading as it was to be on a team with him as my quarterback if that makes sense every sure. he kind of sets another standard uh, everybody kind of raises their game um, a level of preparation a level of accountability that maybe we didn't have in Kansas City um, and not everybody can do that and Peyton does it and he does it well you know he'll, he'll take he'll take the reins I mean he he'll call out coaches in meetings yeah and say, you know, you guys call us out. We're calling you out. What's this bullshit? Yeah. What's this game plan? What you know? Uh, why are we asking him to do this? I mean, he would pin guys down and get stuff done. And a lot of times, it's uncomfortable, but you know, he made it work, right? He made it work well. So uh, it was pretty neat, man. I mean, we, you know, th- there's so many milestones and records and big games and uh, celebrations and bus rides and plane rides and stuff like that that was uh that was really cool but um you know he's got a different deal man i mean he's he he can't he can't really go anywhere without everybody knowing who he is and telling him their life stories and and, uh so so seeing kind of how he navigated that was uh was interesting because he was all business man he was all football um and then he kind of keep the circle tight and uh, do his thing kind of privately, but uh, he didn't. You know, he was he was an interesting guy to play with, man, in a lot of ways. But but from from the standpoint of of him being your quarterback, it ain't easy. Um, but you know, he's going to put you in, and you got a great chance to win every time. How much of that week leading up to that Super Bowl that you guys won in Miami was geared towards we've got to do this for Peyton? <laughs> Zero. I mean, oh really? If you don't want to win the Super Bowl, if you need if you need to manufacture another reason, right? You're probably not in the league because he hadn't had the championship, and everybody goes, "Well, he's good, but he hasn't won that thing." I don't know if that yeah. affected you guys, or you guys hear all that. Or? It didn't. I mean, we wanted. I think everybody probably wanted to win it for their own reasons. Yeah, but mainly because they want to win a Super Bowl. Um, yeah, that's icing on the cake to get Peyton one, but I'd like to get myself one. You know, and even the second one, it was like, well, one's good, but, you know, two's a lot better. You can put one on each hand and feel balanced and symmetrical. Like, you know, it's yeah, not sure. about. Right. It, I would say winning that one for Dungy, maybe, uh, was important in a lot of guys' hearts and minds just because of the kind of the man he was and the leader he was. And um, we wanted to win it, you know, for him. And it was a historic Super Bowl. It was him and Lovey Smith. Right. Two black coaches. Yep. Going to be the first time a, a black coach, I think, won uh, the Super Bowl. And then you had Tomlin do it uh, a year or two later. And mm-hmm. um, But going through that with Dungy, and, and he had some, you know, his son committed suicide. Yeah. Um, his son James was in the locker room and around the team and the facility all the time. 
um, and to see the, the see the grace that he handled that with, the way he handled that, he was a special, special guy, right? And I don't know of any other coaches in the league or even in college that kind of commanded um, a locker room's respect like that without even trying, just by being who he was. So uh, we, we wanted to win it for Dungey, but, I, I mean, I, I, you want to win. Yeah. Right? Sure. You don't want to lose in the Super Bowl. Right. You want to win that son of a gun, man. You want to win when you're that close. Yeah, nothing in the past really mattered. You know, the, it mattered to the fans and the media and the and the, the narrative there. But guys were like, "This is a beatable team. We're going to beat them, and uh, we should beat them." Mm-hmm. And so let's let's do it. We, you know, you got two weeks, right? The clock's ticking. You got a hard stop Monday morning. You know, February seventh or whatever it was. Uh, you're going to be on a flight back. Make it a good one, right? right. So that was kind of the deal there. I was reading something online it says the hundred things what was it called like a hundred things every colt fan needs to hear or know a hundred things every colts fan should know and number 55 was just ryan lilja <laughs> just was, just ryan lilja, just ryan lilja. Oh. and it was a story of after the super bowl win you losing your helmet and then finding your helmet with some dude was carrying it around and then like i guess you wore it like all day in your suit or something the next that's day out looked, in the right, ether right now yeah who, you know number 55 ships, man yeah. That is that can't confirm or deny most of that, but yeah, it was. I mean, listen, dude, I I would have. First of all, part of the joy is the season's over. You're duct taping your body together, you know. You're taking meds. You're taking shots. So, I I was pretty. I was in a good mood, man. Yeah. You know. I mean, <laughs> I was in a good mood. So I got Jeff Saturday's daughter, Savannah. He had Jeffrey, his son, on his shoulders, and so uh, Savannah wanted to be on my shoulders, so I gave my helmet to Jeff's buddy. It was this, this little white dude, you know, skinny guy who I'd seen a couple of times, but he got him on the field. So I, I, I guess I gave him my helmet with my shirt and my hat stuffed in it, and I had Savannah, and then the Lombardi comes out, and then, yeah, the next morning, the next morning, you know, we were late. I was late uh, getting down the the uh, elevator and I see him in the elevator I'm wearing the same suit I had on the night before you know never took it off sweated through it at the dance party and the whole post party deal and uh, I'm walking down there and he, I'm in the elevator with this guy and I see it's got my number on it and I didn't really recognize him and I was still probably a little drunk right and so I took it from him and and uh, and then yeah Dallas Clark took a picture of me on the airplane with my suit and my helmet on and he he stuffed the Lombardi trophy like in my arm <laughs> And took a picture, and I don't think I have the picture, but yeah, I'm not. Uh, somebody's been talking, man. I mean, those are yeah, <laughs> those are stories that you know. Yeah, we had a good time though. Again, when you have the continuity like that with those guys, you develop a really cool relationship, and we had we had some good laughs. Who was the best dancer at the dance party that night? Oh shoot, man! Everybody but me. You know, I didn't care. You know, Howard Mudd wore swim trunks with his shirt. It was too big, you know, those big shirts they give you when you win something. Sure. And he's out there doing that. And, uh, you know, you get your family there. You get a table. My brothers went and got a picture with Howard. And uh, apparently he told them, we got a great picture. My brothers are dying in the photo. They're laughing so hard. But right before, he goes, hey, he goes, your brother... He said he's a hell of a guy or something. And right before the photo came, he goes, I don't know about you two slap dicks. And they got their arms around him, and they're just dying. And he's standing there. His eyes are glazed up. He's got swim trunks on him. I mean, it was wacky, man. Yeah. It was fun. We, um, it, was, it was 
those things are cool when you get to share it with you know your friends and your family and your teammates and your teammates families and um that night was cool yeah that was a lot of fun was that as fun as much fun probably more so than you had during that royals run because you lived that thing up too man i mean like like well, 14 I didn't have as much and 15 in october was kind of a blur for everybody but i think you kind of blurred it for yourself better than anybody in town you enjoyed those months didn't I, you i did probably a little too much but nobody really noticed um because like you said the whole town was shut down right that was such a special thing i was just in i was on vacation with some guys some couples and we just started talking about the royals and and 14 and Somebody brings up this 30-minute highlight film on a, on a laptop, and we all sat around at, like, 1 in the morning on this guy's rooftop in Aspen. We're watching the, this highlight video of every game in the postseason, and it takes you back. It was we, we were just geeking out, man. I mean, it was a special, special thing. Yeah. Right? I mean, they had to overcome a lot uh, with style to win that deal. And um, it's not like football where you got four quarters. I mean, you're playing series. You're, you're, you're dealing with different – that was just a special time in this town, and, and, and it'll probably always go down like that. And it'll be interesting to compare it with when the Chiefs eventually win the Super Bowl and how that goes down. But the parade was awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I listen, I indulged myself, man. I mean, I, you know, I went to some games and watched all the other games, and um, like everyone else. You were at the wild card game, right? I was at that game. Yeah, how, yeah. how I mean, like, I, I love getting people's reactions of – the moment that hit goes down the line and here comes Cologne to score and they get that hit, like, you were doing what at that time? I was sitting in my buddy's nice seats in the front row of the, at the Crown Club, right? Okay. Right behind the net. It's and, good to be uh, Ryan Little, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, I got, good, I got generous fr- friends. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Salvi hits that little blooper down the third base line. It, it, the whole environment, I mean, you guys were there. We all remember it. I'd never been to a sporting event like that before or, or since. People were on the edge of their seats. Everybody. I mean, the guys selling hot dogs were stopping every pitch. And um, it, you could hear a pin drop. And then when he when it, you know, he slid that one past the third baseman, and it was Salvi, and it was, it was way out here, and he just takes a hack at it. I mean, the roar from that place, it was like an, it was like an electricity or an energy that, you, that I'd never experienced in football. Yeah. You know, because I was in it. And it was just a cool thing, man. I mean, what a wonderful and – and then the run that they went on the next two years in the postseason, it was like, wow. There's nothing better. You know, there's nothing better than seeing a town bond over a sports team like that because it doesn't matter if you're Republican and I'm Democrat, if you're black and I'm white, if you're, you know, from Kansas or I'm from Missouri. Like, none of that mattered for those yeah. two months. It was like the happiest I've ever seen everybody, you know? Everybody everybody just got along and loved each other. It was. It's amazing what a team can do for a town and a community. And I'd never seen it until that. But, but yeah, you, you talk Even about... Even being in Indy with all that, huh? No. I mean, every year they expected us to win in, in Indy. Yeah. This was a unique deal. I mean, it had been 30 years, and it had been a lot of misery. Um, and Kansas City fans, you know, Kansas City people love the Royals, man. I mean, there's we all grew up with some history there that was that was really something special. And so you're exactly right. To, to see, I mean, zero, I, I got buddies that are in the business world, and they're like, nothing, nobody was making deals, nobody was doing anything, closing anything. That whole month... The business community shut down. I know. Um, car and dealers right. will tell me too. We didn't sell a car. No, <laughs> no. Nobody was. Nobody was doing anything unless you were an audio video guy and had a you know 
you were selling flat screen TVs because yeah. everybody was was tuning in, man. It was a special thing. I mean, sports are cool like that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why that's that's the good part about sports. That's a, the great part about sports, right? Professional sports, right? Yes, kind of brings a whole community together, and uh, I'm sure those guys. You know, I'm sure that was a special feeling being on that team. Sure it was. I, I guarantee it was. If you could have a mulligan in life, what would your mulligan be? What would you love to do over? That's Hey, that's a good question. Thank you. I guess. I mean. <laughs> don't ask me because I, I, I don't have I an don't answer I don't think about that, that a lot. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, the past is prologue, right? Yeah. Uh, so I haven't put a lot of thought into that. Um, I don't know that I'd change much. Right now, I'm sure there's stuff out there that I would change, but you know, you take your licks. You know, you, if, if I didn't get kicked off my high school team, I don't think I'd make it to the NFL. I mean, that really that put a chip on my shoulder, and you know, the school pissed me off. They treated my mom like shit. Yeah, and that pissed me off, and and it was kind of I don't know. That's the healthiest motivator, but that's kind of how I went through my college career. Was f you, watch me, right? Doubt me kind of thing yeah so I've, I've thought back about that I really don't think I, I I would have been as successful in football if I hadn't skinned my knees in high school and gotten pissed off um so you know but I'm, I've made mistakes dude but the, you know I probably wouldn't have drank those last six cocktails the night of the Super Bowl party and uh fallen asleep <laughs> on the airplane you know just for my teammates to take a picture of it yeah that's good what were the cocktails that night Gosh, I have no idea. You no, know, at that point, I, it doesn't matter. Yes, right? I, I remember being on the rooftop of the the Marriott Beach Harbor, Marriott, with my brothers, with a bunch of beers that we had smuggled out of the party, and just staring at the ocean and the, and the breeze coming off the oceans. We were throwing beer cans off the roof of this hotel, and they were blowing back up over our heads. And we just thought it was the most amazing thing. And I don't like littering, right? But. Sue me. That was a special night. Yeah. You know, we're smoking cigars and chucking off, you know, beer ca- empty beer cans. Um, it's good times, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right, what, what about a mulligan in your professional life? If you could have one moment of either with Indy or with yeah. Kansas City to do over again, and, you know, man, if we just did that, it would have been different. What would it have been? I think I would have taken more of an active leadership role in the Chiefs. You know, we had, we had Brian Waters for a year or two. We had Vrabes. Uh, for a little while and Scott brought me in to do that and he reminded me of it all the time and that just really wasn't my style when I was in Indy I was I was a role player you know I was a I did my job and I tried to do it well but I wasn't the you know and so it was it was something that I wasn't super comfortable with but looking back uh, that's something I wish I had I had um, you know I had uh, tried to take a role doing but you know again you learn from this stuff, right? And I don't, I don't like to dwell on stuff because it's, you can learn from it, but you can't go back and change it. And I think all that stuff kind of makes you who you are. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there, you know, there was, there was a, a plenty of things we could change in Kansas City those last couple of years there. Done. She gone. She gone. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with former Kansas City Chief Ryan Lilja and got to see a little bit behind the scenes of what makes him tick. It's pretty cool for a kid that grew up in Kansas City to be able to say, I was a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.